Welcome to Harmonia. I'm Angela Mariani. In October of 1991, I was a graduate student, and through a part-time job as an announcer at the local public radio station, I was asked if I'd be interested in developing a weekly, hour-long program of early music. And here we are, 30 years later. This hour, in celebration of our 30th anniversary, we visit with a few veterans of the early music world, reflecting on how the field has evolved over the years. Stay with us. Oh. 
we heard the ensemble Cinquecento sing Heinrich Isaac's motet Recordare Jesu Christe. Written as a Marian offertory, the piece was altered during the Reformation, replacing references to Mary with references to Jesus. This hour, we're taking a snapshot of the world of early music in 2021, reflecting on the opportunities we now have to bring the music we are so passionate about to a wider audience than ever before, as well as to expand our repertory and reinvent live performance and recordings. We'll look at the wonderful gifts we've received from research, experimentation, and curiosity. To help us do so, we have some special guests, all well-known to the early music world, who'll share their impressions and some of their favorite recordings as a tribute to Harmonia's 30th anniversary. But first, let's start with a piece chosen because of my great love for medieval music and for the music of Sequencia, who released this CD the same year that Harmonia was launched. This is Philip de Vitry's I Amour from a re-release of Sequencia's 1991 recording of de Vitry's Motets and Songs.
We heard the ensemble Sequencia's version of Philip de Vitry's I Amour from their 1991 recording De Vitry, Motets and Songs. The singer was Barbara Thornton, and the vielle, or medieval fiddle, was played by Patricia Neely. We talked to Patricia about her experiences over the past 30 years. Diversity was one of the topics that came up in the conversation. In 1991, Patricia, who was African-American, was having a challenging time in New York City. Today, she feels that attitudes are changing rapidly. When I came along, there might have been one other person who was of color. I felt that I was completely alone as a professional, struggling to figure out why I was so enthusiastic. Educationally, I had the top professors in early music, and I was still invisible. I'm encouraged by what has happened in the past 15 months because it has opened up the discussion with everyone. It has given me more of a voice to, and more self-esteem to think that everything I thought that I couldn't talk to anyone about, or when I did, they always said, oh, no, that couldn't be true. I was right on. And it makes me feel more appreciated as someone who has been doing this for a long time. I am now validated. Patricia Ann Neely, acclaimed player of viola de gamba and viol, who has performed and recorded everything from medieval music to Baroque opera with a long and illustrious list of ensembles. She's the managing director of Abendmusik, New York's period instrument string ensemble, and the chair of Early Music America's Task Force on Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. The topics of culture and diversity also emerged in our conversation with Lauri Gutierrez. Lauri is from Venezuela, lives in Boston, and directs one ensemble, La Dona Musical, dedicated to the work of women composers, and another, Rumbarocco, that explores the intersection of early European music with the oral African and Amerindian traditions, then links them with current Latin American genres. She spoke with us about issues of cultural appropriation. I just gave a talk about Afro-Baroque music, and people were asking cultural... I think that people forgot that I am from South America, so this, this is my culture, so I have all the right to be looking into this. Sometimes you take a, a, a liberty, then you put it on your program notes. Cultural appropriation is an issue, and one has to be careful, and one has to be respectful, but the color of your skin has nothing to do on what you should be playing. As a musical offering, Lauri Gutierrez suggested that we share a piece that combines both of her ensembles in a recording of what began as a song of Hildegard von Bingen, but became infused with the performer's own musical creation and expression. Here's O Splendidissima con Bolero Son.
From the 2020 release Latinas Infusion, Lauri Gutierrez directed the ensembles Rum Barocco and La Donna Musical in a collaboration based on a piece by Hildegard von Bingen. The title of their creation is O Splendidissima con Bolero Son. Another topic of reflection that emerged from our discussions is the immense amount of research into instruments, tuning, and temperament that we've seen over the years. Makers have studied, measured, and copied existing instruments, and players have explored different incarnations of their own instruments and different techniques of playing them. Sometimes this resulted in a different sound in pitch and temperament, even to well-known repertory. Not only that, but digitization has made it possible to recreate sounds anew. William Hunt, violone player in many of the UK's finest period instrument ensembles, tells us about one project that changed his life as a violone player. A group I've been fortunate to play with for the last 10 years with John Button, the Dunedin lot. I mean, it's about five years ago now, probably, but they started using, instead of the little sort of wood box continuo organs, which we all have been compelled for a few decades to resort to when you go and play music in a Bach cantatas or a Passion in a concert hall. To do away with that and use a digital sampling of a real big church organ, properly reproduced through some decent speakers and so on. It is just transformational, the way that the organ then becomes the thing around which the orchestra is collected, rather than this puny little thing with no bass notes in the middle of an inflated orchestra. This great big church organ does have particular bits of it which are particularly well-tuned to balancing with a small group. And then there's a lot more when you've got the whole full chorus out, including 16-foot pedals, which you never hear on a continuo ball. So that's interesting. And it, I mean, it's particularly interesting from my end of things, having been playing big violones in order to um, give the, the bass support that you feel is acoustically necessary in a concert hall. Actually, that's much less the case when you've got a real organ there. Uh, and, you know, there's quite good reason to think that in many cases they didn't have 16-foot strings at all. They had something much more incisive and, and um, sort of big eight-foot instruments giving a clear bass line rather than this sort of chundering noise in the strings when you've got a real support from the bottom of the organ. Let's hear that organ William Hunt is talking about in a recitative and aria from the second part of J.S. Bach's Christmas Oratorio, BWV 248. Von Gott erfahren müssen, und nun muss auch ein Hirt die Tat, was er damals versprochen hat, zuerst erfüllet wissen. Oh, 
John Butt led the Dunedin Consort and Singers on their 2016 recording of J.S. Bach's Christmas Oratorio, BWV 248. Research on pitch and temperament also affects vocal performance, even when no instruments are involved. And one of the performers is the acoustical setting itself. Judith Malafront, singer, voice teacher, and music critic, is blown away by what she has heard lately. There's a renaissance of renaissance music. There's a whole lot of renaissance polyphony that I'm listening to that is so good. Bold and great vocalism, really wonderful stuff. The group I think is called Cinquecento. They had their five guys. They have an Isaac recording that's so, I love that sonically, it's really beautiful. The tuning and the colors and the, the vocalism Let's hear Cinquecento sing a motet by Heinrich Isaac. When Lorenzo de' Medici died in 1492, Isaac memorialized his patron in several works, including Quis Dabit Pacem Populo Timenti. This motet draws on classical precedent, borrowing lines from Seneca and supplementing them with additional text that explicitly mentions Lorenzo and the Medici.
the ensemble Cinquecento sang Heinrich Isaac's Quis Dabit Pacem Populo Timenti on the 2021 Hyperion recording, Isaac, Missa Volauf Gutgesell von Hinnen. You can hear highlights from recent and archival concert recordings of early music on Harmonia Uncut, our podcast curated and hosted by Wendy Gillespie. Listen online at harmoniaearlymusic.org and through iTunes. You're listening to Harmonia. I'm Angela Mariani. Welcome back. As we look back over the 30 years that Harmonia has been bringing early music to the airwaves, we, along with some special guests, are reflecting on changes in the field of early music performance. Alexander Blatchley has been directing the vocal ensemble Pomerium for nearly 50 years, and he knows a thing or two about tuning. Although they've always been wonderful singers, he finds singers better prepared these days. Here's part of a conversation with him and viola da gamba player Marianne Ballard. And my most favorite of the Pomerian recordings is the most recent one, the Musical Games of the Renaissance. The ensemble has changed and has advanced. I don't think singing in general has, though. I think there has always been really fantastic singing uh, early music. And so now, singers coming in to try out for Pomerium who already know what you're talking about. Maybe they need a little bit of training and they can hear it and so forth. No, so. It's, really, it's really true. I mean, I, I can remember bringing in singers after I had really established in my mind how it worked. It took a while to actually formulate it and put some rules down that I could tell to other people how to do it. But I remember in the early years, once that had happened, we would bring a singer in and I'd explain what they should do. And they would say, oh, yeah, sure, sure. But they wouldn't do it. They would say they got it. They literally didn't believe it and wouldn't do it. And it could take a year and a half because they were so resistant to it, not intellectually, just emotionally. I mean, just in terms of muscle memory and everything, it just seems so wrong to them. And now they come in and they're ready to go. It takes 10 minutes and they're in. It's what happens with musicians all the time. They're listening to recordings they love. They listen to how it works. They imitate it and they can do it after a while. And there's no resistance. In honor of Harmonia's 30th anniversary, Alex Blatchley suggested we play a love song by Baud Cordier. It's literally written in the shape of a heart, and it's called Belle Bonne Sage. Belle. Bonne Sage. Belle. 
members of Pomerium sang Baudecordier's Belle Bonne Sage on the 2019 release Musical Games of the Renaissance under the direction of Alexander Blatchley. Digitization has affected the early music scene in other ways, as musicians have started to count their acoustical space as one of the performers. Here again is violone player William Hunt, who sees future possibilities here. There's a very interesting thing being pioneered by one of the U.S. universities, trying to create the soundscape of St. Paul's Cathedral at the time of John Donne giving you sermons in the 1620s and 30s and trying to recreate the sort of sounds that you would have heard from outside if you were well, it's actually not in in St Paul's itself it's at the the preaching place just outside the cathedral which is where a lot of outdoor sermonizing happened so you right. can hear the street noises and you can hear you know, the birds and those you might hear some music coming inside but trying to really sort of create the whole atmosphere of the period which has to be done digitally obviously that's a, an interesting idea and um, I'm not sure how much further that could be taken. Digital technology definitely has inspired some amazing research and performance. Recently, as ensembles have been forced to explore ways to perform other than in live concerts, digitized performances have started to take on a new look. Alexander Blatchley noted that today's performances can be, you might say, more business casual. In every way. Yeah, this fantastic recording technique and a great church i mean a great acoustic but the, the look of the church was just a, they just sort of pushed all the tables off in the corner and there's stuff stacked up over here and over there really different from white tie and tails back in the 60s and 70s not surprisingly the issue of digitization arises over and over again with relation to performance of early music today both as a challenge and as an inspirational gift to performers probably comparable to, and maybe ultimately even more world-changing, than the appearance of music printing around 1500 in regard to its importance in making music available to many more people than ever before. It certainly has inspired William Hunt's research through access to digitalized source materials, which has given him a new understanding of the music and rhetoric. But the change most for me is sort of getting interested in and being able to see original performance material. And first of all, online, and I got fascinated by looking at all the Bach cantata stuff and the Bach website. And then in the last four years, you know, beginning into libraries and actually looking at the stuff and getting the buzz from the original material. I mean, that's a, you know, last few years when I've been looking at this particular English first anthem repertory, it's, it's so clear that it's all about text. It's a vehicle for presenting text, which was passionately important to people. And it simply isn't to us. We cannot identify with the sort of things which they reacted to and, uh, and they heard in, in the way the music was presenting the text. We cannot put ourselves in their position. And so we are looking for things in this sort of music. And the same sort of thing is true in a way of a Bach cantata. Uh, we're looking for things which are purely musical when we ought to be looking for things which are much more to do with rhetoric, how the text is being presented to you. And that's fascinating. And it does affect the way that we try to perform the stuff when we do it in a live concert. We're tending still to want to emphasize things which are going to work 
in a concert hall or work in an acoustic which might have nothing to do with the one in which it would originally have been heard. Or we were making so many allowances to a modern situation in order to get the music to work on our modern terms, which is very, very far away from how it was conceived and intended to work back then. And is there any point in trying to put yourself back in that position? How can one ever hope to do that if you can't have the audience react to what you're presenting to them in the way that would have been expected by the composer of the time? To illustrate his point, William Hunt very kindly shared a recording of an anthem by Edmund Hooper, who's unknown today but was very highly regarded in his own time. It was written for King's Day, the anniversary of the succession of James I, and could well have been performed at court in a festive setting, accompanied by cornets and sackbuts.
Edmund Hooper's O God of Gods was performed by the Magdalena Consort, His Majesty's Sackbutts and Cornets, and Silas Wollstone on organ on the 2020 recording In Chains of Gold, Volume 2. Though His Majesty's Sackbutts and Cornets has existed since 1982 and recorded since 1988, this project is the first they've taken on the English anthem repertory. Harmonia is a production of WFIU. Support comes from Early Music America, a national organization that advocates and supports the historical performance of music of the past, the community of artists who create it, and the listeners whose lives are enriched by it. On the web at earlymusicamerica.org. Additional resources come from the William and Gail Cook Music Library at the Indiana University Jacobs School of Music. We welcome your thoughts about any part of this program or about early music in general. Contact us at harmoniaearlymusic.org and you can follow our Facebook page by searching for Harmonia Early Music. The writer for this edition of Harmonia was Wendy Gillespie. Special thanks this week to Patricia Ann Neely, Lauri Gutierrez, William Hunt, Alexander Blatchley, Marianne Ballard, and Judith Malafront. Our studio engineer is Michael Pashkash, and our production team is Luann Johnson, Aaron Kane, Wendy Gillespie, and John Bailey. I'm Angela Mariani, inviting you to join us again for the next edition of Harmonia. <laughs>